In this week's episode, I interview co-founder and CEO of AI Advisors, Luke Begnosh. It's the fact that you cannot have one fixed recipe that you always follow and that will always work. Because the stock market is always changing. So you need to adapt to it. And this is where artificial intelligence is so important. So, so then the thing that you are trying to beat is how fast the other players in the market are learning. And you just want to learn faster than them. The big problem with AI in general right now is that it's a black box AI. You don't know what the AI understands. And my point here is that creativity and evolution is always led by people who decide to be different. From the outside looking in, it can sometimes appear that peak performers have an elusive talent or skill that sets them apart from the rest of us. However, what usually sets peak performers apart isn't what they can do, it's what they will do. You are listening to the Trading Edges podcast, the podcast dedicated to seeking and sharing the best ideas and principles from peak performers across all domains of performance and achievement to help you discover your full trading potential. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Houston, and welcome to episode 32 of Trading Edges. And this, this episode, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, or AI, and trading. Because nowadays, we read a lot of headlines around the exponential developments around AI, and how many companies are sort of rushing to bring these AI-related technologies to market. And the promise is that AI can and will change the way we do everything. That is the way retailers sell, the way we make purchases, drive cars, practice medicine, grow crops, and so on and so on. But what will AI do to trading? So to help us explore this topic, I've invited co-founder and CEO of startup AI Advisors, Luke Begnosh, to share his perspectives around the history of AI, the different applications of AI, the application to trading, and how's Luke's company, is bringing to market a consumer-friendly AI-driven trading service. Take a listen to the episode, leave us some feedback, and let us know what you think. Because on the one hand, we hear about the dangers of AI sort of taking over the world, right? And on the other spectrum, we hear about all these potential human-assisting benefits. So what do you believe as it pertains to trading? Will AI disrupt the financial markets, or will AI ultimately make the markets even more efficient? Head on over to the show page at thetradingedge.org backslash 32 to leave us your feedback, as well as find links to the resources we talked about on the show. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Welcome everyone to episode 32 of Trading Hedges. So on the podcast today, we have Luke Begnosh, and Luke is the co-founder and CEO of AI Visors, which is basically a platform that brings together artificial intelligence or AI and retail investing. And Luke recently presented at one of our monthly Montreal meetups, uh, Montreal Traders meetups, and he presented on the topic of AI and trading. And I just found his presentation to be really, really fascinating. So I felt like I had to bring him on the podcast uh, to share his perspective. So Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for that opportunity. You bet. It's great to have you on. So why don't we get started from the beginning? Uh, share with the audience, what's, what's your background? Yeah, so the background in trading, uh, basically I started in 1999. Um, I did my first trade with Disnat at Desjardins. At the time, I knew nothing about the stock market. And I was simply reading the news that Disnat were sending. Um, and then they said that there was a furniture company uh, somewhere in Quebec that it was time to buy it. So, so I bought Bestar. I put 2000 in it. Uh, and it was basically a big mistake because it, uh, I sold it many years later for all the price. <laughs> nice. So a big, big mistake. So at the same time, I also uh, put some of my money into the um, 
into some mutual funds. So one of them was uh, high technology just before the bubble. <laughs> and then another one was uh, was a conservative industries like oil, for example. Okay. Um, and, and the idea is that the conservative one made enough money. So I was kind of break even a, f a few years after that. That's good. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so that was my first experience with trading a very long time ago. And what I learned at that time is that basically you should not listen to news because it's just a bunch of noise. Uh, you must diversify your money for sure um, because you never know what will crash, what will go up. And then the idea is that uh, you don't want to buy an old. So as soon as you find out that basically, for example, an economic sector like high technology is going down, the best is to sell it as fast as possible. So, so basically that's my background in terms of trading. Mm. And so with your business background and, and your software background, how did mm -hmm. you get interested in kind of putting and merging that together with, with trading? How did that come about? The reason why I came up with, uh, with the solution I have right now, it's, uh, it's, it's in fact coming from my history of how I traded because I didn't have time to trade. I was going at school, doing masters, for example. Uh, I was uh, working full-time and overtime, in fact, so I didn't have time to look at the stock market. I just didn't. So what I was doing is playing with ETF. Uh, I was playing with ETF and then I was trying to find out if it is time to buy or to sell that ETF according to some news or some analysis that I will do. Mm -hmm. But I was really more on the quantitative analysis side, especially the technical analysis. And technical analysis will work with some ETF and will, will work less with some other. So, um, so anyway, so, so the thing is, um, then what I did uh, with the solution is to come up with a lazy solution. Okay, <laughs> so because I don't have time to spend on the stock market. So, so I wanted the computer to do the analysis for me automatically and to even do the discovery process to find out what technical analysis pattern can we use to find out how an ETF works uh, if there is any. Uh, and then the idea is to come up with a model that is optimized automatically uh, without me putting my time in it. Uh, and then the, the way I trade today, it's basically by subscribing kind of my, to, to my robot. So I look at different robots that looks for different kind of patterns. Uh, and at the end of the day, then I verify if I have to do something like selling or buying. So, so that's really what I do. I don't spend much time in the stock market. Because uh, it's not really the fact that I'm lazy. It's really the fact that I'm too busy to, to spend time on that. So I let the machine do the work. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I, I, mm -hmm. can you comment then? So what's the sort of evolution then um, as you kind of laid it out, right? They have kind of traditional quantitative analysis, there's technical analysis, and then all the way now to like artificial intelligence. So what is kind of that evolution? Can you share that with the audience? So where do things mm -hmm. kind of begin and where, where do the things kind of stand now? So, in fact, artificial intelligence exists since a very, very long time. Mm. Uh, and at the time, it was more about symbolic uh, and concepts. Uh, so it was not uh, all about statistics. It has been evolved. Uh, evolu how can I say that? The, the evolution process came up with today what we call deep learning. Uh, and, and then deep learning, it's all about probabilities. Nothing else but probabilities. Mm. So the thing is, quantitative models... Uh, and quantitative analysis, it's also all about probability. So what you are looking for, it's pattern in the past that repeated, and then you expect that those same patterns will repeat in the future. And uh, then artificial intelligence is really just kind of, a, it, it is just natural that it plugs to quantitative analysis, because at the end, the thing that it allows you to do, it's to learn automatically from those uh, those metrics that you got from the past and those patterns that you found in the past and then to continuously find out if they still apply today. Right. So uh, so this is just a natural mix, in fact, quantitative analysis and artificial intelligence. I will even say that maybe it's almost the same thing because artificial intelligence have many, many... Um, uh, how can I say that? There are many kinds of artificial intelligence, and one of them is statistical artificial intelligence. So, so at the end, the quantitative analysis is is maybe kind of a sub uh, subfield of statistical artificial intelligence. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, I think most people are probably like, if, if they haven't figured it out yet. So, I think 
mm-hmm. you know, they're like with all the headlines you hear about trading algos and them being responsible for things like the flash crash a few years ago. What's the difference, if there's anything, between like a trading algo traditionally and like AI as it's kind of being kind of being used nowadays? Can okay. you kind of talk about the difference with, between those two things? Yeah. So algo trading, it's kind of a recipe that you apply for 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 the long term. So you find a recipe that worked in the past, and then you do the assumption that it will it will work for the long term. And and then what is happening is that when you do that. Then you have those expert uh, economists, not expert, I should say just economists, <laughs> who believe in the efficient market theory and believe that you cannot understand the future by looking at the past. Um, so, so those will use the fact that those algorithm becomes, or I should say decrease in terms of performance, in terms of financial performance in time. So they, they use this argument to say, yeah, you, you look at it, you cannot explain the future with the past. Okay, so, so the thing is that, that that highlights one problem of algorithms. It's the fact that you cannot have one fixed recipe that you always follow and that will always work. Right. Because the stock market is always changing. So you need to adapt to it. And this is where artificial intelligence is so important. Because with AI, you can, uh, in a performant manner, so I mean quickly, you can quickly update your algorithm. And this is exactly what we do at uh, AI Advisors. What we do is that we basically take kind of a recipe, but then we change it. So the AI is there to change the recipe all the time and to verify every day, is that the best recipe so far that we have for today? And then, yeah, we, we believe that the past explained the future, but we believe the past explained the future in a short period of time. Mm. So the idea is that you need to always continuously update. And what we found so far is that normally you want to update at least at every two weeks to stay uh, to stay up to date. But even if you update maybe just like a year after, it's it's highly possible, like at 75%, that the model you found will still be good. So okay. you don't need to change every two weeks. But what what I'm saying here is that you have the ability to change every two weeks just to make sure that you always have the most optimal recipe or algorithm. So yeah, so so that's the difference between a static algorithm and a dynamic algorithm that is always improved by AI. Very interesting. And that two-week kind of interval, um, is that based on, let's say, daily data or something different? What, what, what oh is... yeah, so that's based only on daily data. So yeah. if you do intraday, and right now we don't, uh, we could use the same engine to do intraday, but we don't. But I, I suppose that if you will do intraday, then this period will be a lot smaller. Mm, okay. Yeah. And and maybe the, the the maybe the efficient market hypothesis is kind of true. Maybe it is. And and the the thing that will happen then, if you think about it, is that because all the agents or or all the traders playing in the stock market learns how it goes, so then they influence the market. So, so then the thing that you are trying to beat is how fast the other players in the market are learning. And hmm. you just want to learn faster than them. So, so you could see this two weeks like, like this. You just want to beat how fast the other traders will learn. That becomes a real race of kind of adaptation, right? That's, that's a fascinating idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not necessarily trying to get any smarter than them. You're just trying to... Hmm. Yeah, kind of stay one step ahead or change exactly. the right way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but again, let me just say again that uh, even what I found is that most of the time you can stay with the same algorithm for like a year, mm-hmm. and it will be good enough. It may not be the most optimal, but it may still be good enough for a year after that. So the market is not changing at a, at a fast pace, and again, it depends on what security you look at. I mean, right. what stock you look at. Yep. And so some of the things you might optimize would be things like the parameters of the of, of some of the indicators you might use, or or like the um, like the different maybe duration of it, some it, of those whole yeah, periods. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a mix. It's a mix of what you said. Uh, it can be the periods. Uh, it can be uh, some um, some parameters as well, uh, like uh, the thresholds, for example. That could be a threshold of uh, whatever, uh, like uh, an oscillator. So an oscillator is always from uh, like zero to a hundred or minus one hundred to one hundred, right. and then you have threshold there. So those can be parameters as well. But also another thing is you may want to input into your system 
um, the ability to uh, to look for different triggers. Okay, so it doesn't mean that you always want to look at the same oscillators, uh, at an MACD, at a moving average, and you maybe sometime you want to look at the mo the moving average. Sometime you want to look at the stochastic oscillator. Uh, so 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 the idea is that you have to basically have also some kind of logic that plays with what you are looking at. Hmm. And most of the time you want to look at more than one indicator, not only one. And each indicator should have different threshold uh, that adapts in, in time. And, uh, and then another part of it, um, it's basically what we call fuzzy logic. So fuzzy logic is there to, to take decision when you are uncertain. And that is highly important. The idea is that in your algorithm, it's not because you have some parameter that you want to be strict with those parameters. Right. You want to, to basically think in terms of fuzziness in the sense that it's never black or white. It, it's always a shade of gray. Mm -hmm. and, and what you want to find out is how tolerant to what shade of gray can you be uh, in, or, in order to be in the market or to stay out of the market. And, and this, this kind of logic that deals with the fact that you are not certain of everything, that is so important in algorithmic trading. And then the AI also will adapt uh, easily, uh, a lot more easily if you are less strict with your recipe. Yeah, it just seems that that would mirror the real life much more than simply kind of binary yes or no type of type of scenarios, right? Exactly. Yeah. So just to circle things back a bit, and you already dropped a few th a few nuggets on us, but can you give us like a quick crash course around AI? You talked about deep learning already and fuzzy logic. What are the different types of, of AI? Where do things kind of begin, and and uh, what okay. are some of the yeah more common I guess common um, methods of using AI? In fact, uh, there's a lot of different kind of AI. Yeah, I know uh, the, at the meetup you spent like an hour on this, so, so I'm asking you to do a big job here to try yeah, so, still in like <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so let's just, just basically let's start with deep learning because everybody uh, listen, I mean not listen, but hear about that today. Mm -hmm. so, so let's start with this one because from the deep learning you can understand in fact a lot about AI um, in general. So, so the, the first thing that I will say is if you look just at deep learning, what it is at the end, it's, it's a deep stack of multiple layers of neurons. So what I'm trying to say here is that you, you have layers of neurons that will have like millions of, of neurons in it, but then you, you stack on top of each other all those layers, so at the end you have a very deep uh, set of layers. Uh, now they, they do layers, I mean they do like 28 layers, 40 layers, I think I've seen 60 layers. Um, so, so that's what they mean by deep. It's the fact that there's a deep set of logic. You could, see, you could see each layer is like a different kind of logic. All those layers of neural net, uh, of neural, uh, of neurons, sorry, uh, what they do is to deal with probabilities. So that's it, it's nothing more than that. It's dealing with probabilities um, and, and then trying to find pattern in it. So, so the, the thing is, the human brain does exactly the same thing. We are looking always for a pattern. And this is why, again, I want to, to shut a little bit at the efficient market hypothesis. But, but the idea is that uh, the economists try to force you to understand that there is no logic in the market. That any logic that exists was just to explain the past. But as soon as you can explain the past, this is gone away. And then you cannot explain the future. It's good for the economists because then this way they can always say in the media, oh, yeah, you see, I didn't know what will happen because it's impossible, it's impossible. to explain it. <laughs> sure. So, so the, the thing is that they just do that to save their job, it seems to. But the thing is, what I'm trying to say here with AI and the human brain is that AI and the human brain is all about probabilities of what occurred in the past. Nothing else. Absolutely nothing else. So, so the idea is that uh, this is what they, they, basically with the deep learning, they redo the human brain, but in a way that they calculate it in a computer. And, uh, and then the thing that I will say is that uh, you can look at, at, at that like a football game. So let's say you had a human, okay, a human being, who look at a football game for the first time. Then the thing is that he will quickly find out the patterns on what he see, even if you have never seen a football game. So the first thing is that maybe you will notice that, okay, there's two teams with different color code. 
Okay, it will maybe take time to understand that it's two things, but you will find out that there's two different color code on their on their um, uh, output, and then uh, the idea is that at some other time they will understand that okay, everybody is running in the same direction. At some point in time, they are all running on the left or all running on the right, or and then at some point they will start to understand okay, they are running after the ball, hmm. so so they are trying to catch the ball. And then you should find out at some point that, okay, every time that a team has the ball, they try to keep it. The other one try to take it. So, so those are the kind of patterns that a human brain or AI is able to detect. They can detect those kind of logic in what they see or what they hear or whatever. The problem with deep learning, and this is where it comes uh, very interesting for AI in general, is that the deep learning can understand, but cannot put words around it, first of all. Mm. So it cannot put words around it because so far the AI is not advanced enough to be able to kind of extract information of those layers I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, kind of uh, find out how to, to, to put it in words and even to communicate it to someone else. And that's the difference with a human. A human will look at a football game, will understand everything I said, and then will be able to put words and explain it to someone else. And then this other person who got that explained to it to him, what he what he will do is that he will look at a football game and then he will start to criticize what the other human said because he will understand a little bit differently how the, foot, the, the football game is going. And most of the time, this is why you have people for different teams. They have a different understanding. They, they, they like a different style. So what I'm trying to say here is that human has a very high level of diversity in their understanding, plus the ability to communicate between them. And so far, the artificial intelligence is lacking all of that. So the big problem with AI in general right now is that it's a black box AI. You don't know what the AI understands. Um, and, and this is why sometimes some other kind of AI are, are more interesting, uh, especially the expert system. Expert system don't really learn fast. In fact, they are really dependent on people. But the thing is that at least you can understand what the expert system understands. Uh, and it's a little bit the same with like a Bayesian network. Uh, it's kind of a different... Uh, uh, a smaller, a smaller AI than uh, deep learning, but it used the same kind of probabilities uh, within a network. Uh, but the thing is that with a Bayesian network, you can understand what the the networks uh, uh, says uh, in the sense that uh, you could you could put word on it, uh, but you cannot do that with deep learning. So so anyway, so uh, just to make a long story short here, the thing is that deep learning is the most popular right now because the rate at which it can learn is really high and it can learn almost anything. The problem is that we are not advanced enough to be able to understand what, it, what the deep learning understood. Um, and, and then the idea is that this is why I believe that still some other level of AI are still interesting today because it allows you to, to basically understand uh, what the AI understands. So, what are some of the? That's a great explanation, by the way. So, so what are some of the drawbacks? And if it's just a, a you know a big black box and you don't know what's exactly going on inside, mm -hmm. what are your, some of the cons against that? In your opinion, so is it because did, it's did just you so ever obscure? See, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie called uh, Rain Man? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's an autistic person. So, <laughs> so basically, this I like person, that analogy. <laughs> yeah, it is. But this person can learn very fast, can learn very, and can do come some calculations that nobody else can do. Yeah. But how can you deal with that person? Right. It's, it's highly difficult. So, so the thing is, I don't think that uh, we shouldn't too much compare autistic people like in Rain Man to to deep learning. But but the point is, I, I believe that there is still um, before we can adopt uh, mainstream artificial intelligence in our daily life, th there is still uh, some uh, some progress to be made mm. uh, in terms of communicating with the AI and making sure that uh, you just don't follow it blindly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I guess that's where some of the fears come from, right? I guess a lot of people have a mistrust in AI because they're scared that there might be just some black box that kind of runs out of control. Um, exactly. 
And, and this is why uh, at Advisors, what we are trying to do here, it's basically to um, to uh, to come up uh, with a new feature in the new f in the next few months, which will be the fact that the AI will tell you why it tells you to buy or why it tells you to sell. So uh, the, the reason why we are able to do that is because uh, our AI is kind of a developer of the algorithm. But at the end, there is always an algorithm that exists. The algorithm changes, as I explained before, but the algorithm is there and you can read that recipe. So, uh -huh. so because you can read that recipe, you can know the reason why the AI is telling you uh, when to, to buy or when to sell. And, uh, and def definitely, I believe that this is highly important uh, if we want to have um, adoptions in the long term of AI by, uh, the, the, by the common consumers. That makes sense because there has to be that kind of level of trust and it's hard exactly. to have that trust without the kind of the consumer or the, you know, the, the, tr the human trader at least seeing some of the rules that are going to be used in the decisions, right? Totally. Yeah. So let's take some time. Why don't you t share with us more? You've already kind of uh, given us a, a little bit of a sneak peek there, but share with us more around what your project is and, and uh, how it kind of links together AI and, and investing. Okay. So, um, can, can you say again, uh, Houston? Sorry for that. No, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, why don't you share with us now like, like your project? How does it link together AI and investing for, uh, for retail traders and consumers? Okay. So, so basically, our mission at Advisors is um, to democratize AI and finance. And what we believe is that, um, is that basically uh, the, the democratization process will have to pass by accessibility and affordability. So what we try to do is to simplify the user experience to make the uh, AI accessible uh, to, to all the individual investors, even the one without expertise. Um, so that's about the accessibility uh, and the simplicity of the tool. But then the affordability, what we do there is that we automate everything. So as I said, um, the AI is basically analyzing the market continuously in order to adapt the recipe and the algorithm. So, so the fact that we don't need a quantitative analyst to do it, but just an AI, uh, the cost is very low. And because the cost is very low, it allows us to keep the price very low as well. And then what we want to do is to make uh, AI affordable to, to all individual investors, uh, independent uh, of their budget. Uh, but definitely in the marketplace, what we'll do is that there will be some AI that will be more advanced with a higher price. So, so definitely we'll do that. But at the basis, what we want to do is to provide the ability to anybody to, to make some money in the stock market, even if they don't have expertise and even if they have a small budget. So that's what mm. we call the, democrati the democratization. Um, and, uh, and, and then the, the other thing I will say is that... Um, Basically, the way to give a, a little bit of an understanding of what advisors provide to the individual investors, uh, when you come on the website, uh, the thing is that uh, you, you just try basically to create a portfolio of robots. Okay, so normally you will try to do a portfolio of stock. What we propose that you, that you do is that you create a portfolio of robots. So what you, you do is that you look at the different stock that you want to invest um, or maybe you don't even know. Maybe you, you will look just for the best result possible. That's also another way to find out. But if you look for specific stocks, then you will see the list of robots that we have. And then you can pick and choose which one makes more sense to you, um, depending on the results, that, the, the results that they got in the past. Uh, and then the idea is that out of that, you create basically a portfolio of, uh, of robots. Uh, and what we ensure on our side is that all those robots that you put in your team um, basically will be continuously learning, so it will be adapted to the stock market. So that's what we ensure. Uh, so it means that uh, basically every two weeks, as I said before, we, uh, we redo the learning process based on the new set of data that we have to make sure that everything that we propose is still good. And, um, and we even have a confidence level on our side that we use internally and that we will expose uh, really, really soon, we'll expose it to the user, but a confidence level and how much trust you can put on that robot. And this confidence level is all based on the fact that we look at how good it has been uh, performing in the stock market 
compared to what it did in the past. <laughs> so it means that in the last two weeks, we look basically at what it did and is it still behaving like it was before. So if it even happens that the economists are right with the efficient market hypothesis and the future doesn't depend on the past, then we'll know that because we'll find out quickly that basically, yeah, we start to, to behave a different way than in the past. And then the confidence level will go down. And, and the idea is that this is information that we provide to the, uh, to the individual investors because we really, really want to, uh, to make sure that uh, transparency is part of uh, our platform. And if we are not able to learn, we prefer to tell you choose another robot or choose a different stock because this stock is not behaving normal. So we don't know anymore. That's very cool. So really, instead of having like um, a portfolio of, of mutual funds, instead you'd be sort of a more of a, a fund to fund manager, where instead of managing managers, you'd be yeah. managing robots. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and so then you'd be trying to yeah basically be picking the best horse, so to speak, and having that that horse run your race for you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a portfolio of quantitative analysts. Right. So yeah. so it's a portfolio of quants. Yeah. And and then uh, yeah exactly that's it. Fascinating. And so just right now, how many signals? Because it sounds like you're taking daily signals. How many signals is typically generated by one of these robots in a, in a yearly time frame? Uh, that depends. It is, it is one of the metrics that we track. Okay. Uh, that we track and, uh, and very, very soon will allow the user to even search by the transaction, um, the average transaction per year, because it's highly important dependent, depending on the amount of money you put in there. Gotcha. But uh, some of them, like... Um, like, uh, if I remember well, yeah, on gold and on the SPY, so the S&P 500, um, Spider Trust, and then on the gold trust, uh, on those I've seen uh, robots as low as like two trades per year okay. in average. Yeah. So, so that's the kind of the best you can do. And then if you decide to do pair trading between S&P 500 and gold, which mm -hmm. actually work, by the way, then the idea is that then you have pair trading with two robots. Uh, and the idea is that they just mm. do two, uh, two, two transactions a year. So, yeah. so that is, uh, that is the, the best you can get in terms of the lowest transaction, what I just said, like pair trading with two robots, two transactions a year. So that will give you like four transactions a year yeah. uh, with, with your, with your uh, portfolio. But then the, the idea is that you have definitely some other robots, like one on Tesla, um, it was really, really good uh, even last year and every year before that in the simulation, it was always beating Tesla, always beating Tesla. But then the average transaction per year was 27. Okay. So I'm so not sure that yeah. yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, exactly a lot. So it's not for everybody. Yeah. So you have really a high diversity of advisors in the marketplace. Uh, it's just a matter of finding what you want. And so really, I think it's going to be up to the individual then to kind of do their own due diligence to kind of figure out, all right, which of these uh, um, bots or which one of these of these AI uh, bots kind of suits my personality best, right? And then kind of constructing that portfolio of bots that you think could best meet your goals. Maybe some of the higher risk, some with a little more conservative, uh, more of a conservative approach. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and right now, I can tell you it's a challenge we have. Uh, in the user experience, because as I mm. said before, the user experience is key. If we want to democratize it and if we want everybody to use it, it must be simplified a lot. Right. But the thing is, right now, even if we just provide like a search tool, it's not enough. And I think we are not anymore in the Google age where mm. you just search what, what people want because we, we do user interviews and everything, so, so we have the feedback of the people. But, but what people want, it's not to search for an advisor, it's to build an advisor. Right. So, uh, so then what we find out is that basically the thing is, uh, in, in what we do, there are kind of three components. You have the robots, which is the advisor, then you have the stock, and that gives you a specific result because you combine this advisor with that stock that gives you a result. Yeah. And, and the thing is that you can search through any of those dimensions. So as you just said, you could search for a robot that is conservative or you could search for a robot that is doing just technical analysis or another one doing fundamental analysis. Mm. You could even search for a robot that is just using the MACD 
it doesn't exist today, but we could do it easily in the future. But anyway, so, so the thing is you can search for the kind of robot you want, then you can search for the stock. So if you search for the stock, then you can start to search by uh, just the ticker of the company, uh, but it can be the, the, the economic sector, it can be the country, it can be many things uh, in the stock that you look for, including all the econometrics of that stock. And then you can also search just, just by the final result and say, I don't care what stock, what robot, just give me the best you have in the database. Right. Uh, based on the lowest volatility or the highest risk. So anyway, what I'm trying to say here is that what we are trying to develop right now, it's a way to go through all those three dimensions, robot, stock, or final, final result, and to give an experience to the user that tells them this is how you build your robot. So, so basically, if you want to start by the characteristic of the robot, start there. If you want to start with the characteristic of the stock, start there. Mm. But then we want to give them an experience that they are basically building a robot and not just searching in a huge marketplace. Yeah. So uh, it's well a it's out. a UX challenge. Yeah. yeah. And so, what do you say is the kind of the difference between you know your service versus something like more traditional, like a like a robo advisor service or things like you know Wealthfront and, and Wealth Simple? Yep, uh, it's a good question. So, so again, I come back to the efficient market hypothesis. Sorry yeah. for that. But the idea is again, it says that basically you can explain the future using the past. So, so, so then the. The, the thing is, it's funny because normally this efficient market hypothesis is used a lot by the banks uh, in the universities uh, to explain that anyway, uh, you should just buy an old so you cannot, uh, because anyway, you cannot understand the future. Um, so you cannot predict the future. So so what is funny here is that this, uh, this uh, robo-advisor technology is based on another very old techno uh, very old uh, theory in fact it's even older than the efficient market hypothesis it is basically the modern portfolio theory and what is funny about it is that it is in contradiction with the efficient market hmm. hypothesis yeah. so I'm, I'm 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 kind of amazed to see that the financial industry use it at the same time as they say nobody can predict so they should buy an old <laughs> but uh, but the thing is what they do is that they allocate okay the money based on the variance and the deviation of the past returns uh, and then they basically uh, assume that the future variation and deviation will be the same as in the past. Uh, and then they basically get you a profile of investor and then they say, okay, you fit here, so you should allocate it this way. And that's the, the best way to minimize the risk. And, and they assume that the only risk is the volatility, which is not neither the case. But this is a good methodology. It's, it's one of the first quantitative analysis method that existed, by the way. But so, so I believe in it. I believe it is very old uh, and that uh, better it can be done better. I mean, there are better stuff out there than this theory. But uh, the thing is, RoboAdvisor just took that very old uh, uh, theory from the 1952 uh, and they packaged it uh, in kind of a simple algorithm that the banks were already using in their mutual funds. Um, and then they now just propose it to to the people. So, so which is good because at least they propose a very old technology for a low fee. So, so what I mean here is that it's better than the bank proposing a very old technology for high fee, <laughs> right. which, which they were doing. So, so it's definitely progress. But at the end, uh, it's not the best progress we can get today because you have edge funds out there, quant funds out there that are making a lot of money, like thirty four. 35% a year in the case of, uh, of uh, Renaissance technology. Um, and uh, the thing is that uh, those technologies exist uh, to, to make a lot of money on the stock market by analyzing it with computer and AI. People just don't know about it. And then what they get served is this cold plate, which is a robo-advisor. Yeah. But I, I believe that if you have just like 1,000 to 5,000, robo-advisor are, are good enough. It's a good way to start. So I... I should not be too harsh about it. And what do you think is the future then? Because you know, if all of a sudden, let's say, you know, a, a platform like yours takes off and attracts, you know, hundreds and thousands, 
say in the future, and you know, I hope you guys get millions of, of, of end users, right? Um, would that change the way the marketplace begins to function? Like, would that begin to eat up edges more quickly? Have you ever thought about what the future would look like if all of a sudden we have, you know, the majority or, or a lot of the, you know, the capital being um, uh, being controlled by by a kind of AI kind of decision making kind of methods? Yeah. Yeah, so, so let me be a little bit philosophical here. Sure, first. yeah. Okay. So, uh, so basically, uh, not a long time ago, uh, even here uh, in Canada, in North America, but uh, if you look like uh, 300 and 400 years ago in Europe as well, everything was about religion. In fact, I should say 200 years ago. Everything was about religion. And, and the thing is that religion... What they do is that basically, what they did at the time is that um, basically they wanted to control the message. They, they wanted to, um, to, to um, basically, they didn't want people to read even the Bible. They were reading the Bible for them. The priest was reading the Bible for them. And then you started to have this country called England, uh, but that's a really long time ago, who decided to go to do otherwise. So they decided that people could read the Bible they decided that priests could marry a woman. They decided to be different. And my point here is that creativity and evolution is always led by people who decide to be different. Mm. And this is even true in nature. That, that's always the case. But um, the, the point here is that even if England at the end dominated the world, it took some time. It took uh, a long time. So it's not a process that comes up and then change everything at once. It's never like that. So I don't believe that the finance industry, which is acting like a church today, uh, I don't believe that the finance industry will just quickly say, okay, let's use all those technologies. No, no, no. They will keep saying the same message as today. Buy an old, you cannot predict the market and whatever. And then the idea is because of that, you'll always have a lot of people who will just follow the church until the church decide to change. Hmm. So, so the point here is that uh, I believe that it will first never happen that that basically AI and the retail investor world will become mainstream. I don't think it will happen. I think that many of them will still just go at the bank, put their money there, and ask the bank to invest it for them. <laughs> Um, and uh, and then and, uh, what I will say, let, let's go in the theory now. So so that is in practice. I really don't believe that uh, that will have like more than 50% adapting AI in finance. I don't believe that. But now let's say that it will happen. Okay. So if it will happen, what I believe is that then the market will truly become more efficient. Because then you will have all the assumptions be behind the theory, uh, be behind the hypothesis that uh, agents in the stock market are all rational. They all have the same kind of information. And then the idea is that, yeah, if you will have more and more and more people using kind of AI to do, to do uh, their decision, to make their decisions, uh, I believe that then you will come closer to the efficient market. And if you come closer to the efficient market, what it means is that you will have less lows and up, I believe. Right. I believe that basically it will be a lot more stable than it is today. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad thing if it will get there, but I'm sure it will not get there because there is a huge financial industry out there that needs to keep the control to keep their money. So, yeah. so it will take some time before people adapt something else. Yeah, that's a great analogy, right? Like just the... Uh the vested interest of either the church or in, in this in this uh, in a more example of the financial industry is the status quo and they have no, mm -hmm. no desire to change that because they're making a lot of good money right now the way it is <laughs> so exactly so yeah that's that's a very very good point um and i want to be respectful of your time as we're getting close to the end of the hour here um you know luke you you know you you've given us a lot of things to think about um and you're really deep on the matter around AI and and, uh, and technology. So, if other listeners out there who are interested in kind of you know peeling back the onion and learning more about artificial intelligence and some of the topics mm -hmm. you talked about today, are there any kind of top books that you recommend people check out, or any other resources that you that you find valuable? 
Yeah, I'm not reading out of book, by the way, uh, these times. <laughs> sure. I'm reading theses uh, about uh, about AI. Yeah, a lot of theses, uh, legal documents as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, books n not a lot. But if someone wants to start uh, in AI and in quantitative analysis. Uh, one of the best websites, and they propose also some books. So there are some books written by the same people who maintain the website. Uh, so, so that website is uh, quentstart.com. Um, and uh, and I believe that this is one of the the best one out there that give you tutorial, hands-on tutorial, where to start in order to be able to do quantitative analysis in AI, if, if you want to do it by yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that uh, recommendation. I'll definitely put it up on the show notes. And I thought, you know, I think you touched on something really important. I think a lot of people are interested in this idea of, you know, how to apply more te technology, uh, things like AI, into their trading. But like you said, like the hardest part for most retail investors is the accessibility, right? How do you begin to just begin to even uh, mm -hmm. approach this if you don't have a, a technical or development background? So I think what you're putting together, Luke, is uh, something very, very interesting. And I hope that people uh, check it out further. So if uh, people are curious about what you're doing, what's the best place to, to contact you, follow you, where can people uh, engage with you further and find out more about, uh, about your offering? Yeah, so, uh, so we have a website. Uh, it's www.aiadvisors.com, so A-I-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Uh, but the idea is that uh, we just use it right now as a kind of a beta when we do our interviews with user, because um, it's not even a beta, it's a, an alpha, whatever you call it. So, so the thing is, um, the, the best way uh, at this point in time uh, to, to basically uh, get in touch with us, it's just to go through me uh, or one of my co-founder, but my email, it's uh, Luke, so L-U-C at advisors.com. You can contact me directly, in fact, uh, it's the time, because right now I'm just looking for for people feedback. So it's right the time for that. Um, and then what we are looking at is to uh, launch in April, uh, uh, basically a closed beta. So in order to get in the list of that closed beta that will launch in April, then the best is to contact me. But if you go on the website, you can also subscribe and then we'll get your email. And, and the idea is that uh, we, we will reach you and we can put you in the closed beta if you fit. Um, so yeah, I will say that um, I'm sorry, but it's really a, a new startup. So we are just incorporated since November 2016. So so the, the thing is that I'm sorry, I don't have all those uh, stuff in place to kind of um, welcome you. But uh, then the best is really just to send me an email at lookatadvisors.com, um, and and that will be the, the that will be it for now until we get the public beta out there in like uh, June, we believe. Sounds cool. I'm definitely going to sign up, Luke, so expect to yeah. see my, my email address. Um, one <laughs> other thing is, um, just for some folks who might be curious, so what products um, and instruments and markets does the current portfolio of robots you know, yep. uh, trade against? Okay, so right now we, uh, we basically have a bunch of ETF um, in different economic sector in U.S., uh, plus a bunch of ETF uh, in different country indexes, uh, plus some uh, companies, for example, like Tesla, IBM, Google, Apple, so so some of the popular ones, um, but not all of them. And the reason why we come up with that first set of, uh, of stock, it's simply because uh, most of them are not correlated with each other. Um, they, they are kind of very different, especially when you look at the different country indexes. So, so the thing is that it was a way for us to test that our robots can adapt to anything. So that's why we started with that set. But then the, the goal by the end of the year is to have like 18,000 stock or ETF, both of them. Um, so, so we want to, to, to do like 90% of the Canadian stock market and the US stock market. But we don't deal normally with stock that exists since two years, for example, because it's not enough to uh, to verify what I just said about the the confidence level. Sure. So we want stock that are there, so we can verify that yeah we have a confidence level that we are able to predict a little bit in the in the future based on the past. If we don't, then the confidence level is down. Yeah. But anyway, so so the thing is, um, yeah, the goal is to get 
the vast majority of stock that exists in the American stock markets and the, the, the Canadian stock market. All right. Yep. Very good. Well, I find this project really fascinating. I wish you guys you know, the best of luck as you begin to roll things out. Uh, thank you again, Luke, for joining me today on the podcast. It was just uh, great to have you on the, on, the, on the show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And uh, for the listeners, as usual, you can find all the show notes and all the resources that Luke and I talked about today by going to the website at thetradingedge.org backslash episode 32. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode. I wanted to let you know that at the end of last year, I finally rolled out my latest development program called The Keys to Your Trading Business, which goes into everything it takes to create a successful trading business. Now, most traders focus on just trading, and they miss out on this whole other aspect, and that is they neglect to run their trading operations as a business. So if you're truly interested in trading for a living and not simply as a hobby, then you need to begin to think of your trading as a business in structuring it as such, right? So the program includes how to structure that tra- uh, that profitable trading operation. That is creating a business plan and a trading plan. Yes, a business plan, not just a trading plan. The key elements around creating the right mindset around you know your business. How to create lasting behavioral change so that you do what you have in your plans. The tools, the resources, the routines that are required for a successful trading business as well as some of the resources like setups that I use every day. I show you if you struggle to put all of these pieces together this will shortcut your journey and save you thousands of dollars but more importantly it'll shave off hundreds or thousands of hours which you can't make back. You can always make the money but you can't make back the time. So if you're interested in learning more about the program head on over to thetradingedge.org backslash go. Again, thetradingedge.org backslash go. And as listeners of the Trading Edges podcast, I wanted to give you all an opportunity to shortcut your trading success. So what we're going to do here is if you leave us a review on iTunes, we're going to go ahead and provide one lucky person with a free copy of the program with one free month of one-on-one coach with me to teach you you know all the ins and ins and outs of structuring that that business, how to you know consistently extract money from the markets, and to build that trading operation you've always wanted. So head on over to iTunes, and after we hit 50 reviews, that's five zero, we'll go ahead and pick one lucky person that will win that program as well as that one-on-one coaching, which will be in value of excess of a thousand dollars. So once again, if you're interested in learning more about the program, head on over to thetradingedge.org/go. You've been listening to the Trading Edges podcast. We've taken this interview and summarized all the big ideas so that you can take action. Just head over to the tradingedge.org slash podcast to find the show notes, transcript, resources, and to continue the conversation.